All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, my name is David, and I have the great privilege and pleasure of being the pastor here at Redeemer. I want to uh, welcome you guys this morning. Today, we continue on in our series on the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is a, a series that we've been doing, if you're here for the first time, where we are looking at some of the core essential Christian truths as they are communicated in a really important confession of the church uh, called the Apostles' Creed. And what we've done is we've taken each line of this creed, not everyone, but, but a lot of them, and kind of picked it apart, tried to study them, tried to see where in the scripture this is important and why. And, um, and it's been good. I, I, I've really enjoyed it. Let me remind you that next week is uh, the week that I was encouraging you guys to, uh, to take and, and, and do well on the Apostles' Creed Challenge. Remember this, the We Creed Hard thing, if you were here? Uh, I, I challenged everyone to learn the entirety of the Apostles' Creed. I think there's 108 words. You can do it. I know so many of you guys have done it. Uh, and next week, starting on the Sunday, uh, what we're going to do is start saying it uh, on social media, adding our little 21st century twist to this confession of faith that's been passed down through the ages and, and, and creeding hard. This is something where we get to, to join our voices with the church, and it, it's a really cool thing. I'm excited about it. My family's got it all planned out. Hope to see you, your family do it as well. All right, um, today we're going to study the, the line from the creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We're going to be in our Bibles in a couple of different places, but really I think the anchor, the strongest emphasis is going to come from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. If you brought your Bible, you can turn there now. We're going to read from it. If you didn't uh, want to use your phone, that's great. There's also one in the chair in front of you you can grab, and, uh, and it's in that Bible on page 797. <coughs> while, um, while you guys are getting there, why don't we go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Lord, we are um, so thankful for this chance to gather this morning, to come before you, to open up your word, to, to, to again, just try to understand this, this really important confession of faith that the church has held so dear and so important for, for hundreds of years, Lord. And, and I just pray as we do that and we open up your word that you, you would give us soft hearts to, to understand what it is that you're saying, to see the thing that, that we each individually need to see. And I pray that your spirit would be at work to just move us towards um, becoming people who are more like Jesus, becoming people who believe in the church, knowing and trusting that you are at work and that, that you believe in the things that are happening right here and in churches all across our country and the world every Sunday morning. Lord, I just lift up all that to you, and pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, Matthew 16, verses 13 through uh, 19. <clears throat> when Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All right, you know, as we have been um, saying the creed for the past number of weeks during worship, I've really noticed there's two spots when we're saying it, that there is like this, this momentary hesitation. There's this hmm moment in the room. And some of you guys are smiling because it's you that's doing the humming. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but the first one uh, is one that we've actually kind of talked about. It's that line where we say after Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. Sometimes we forget it. I did it last week. Or we're, we're not sure about it. He descended to the dead, right? That is a, a tough line. And I know some of you guys are like, Really? Like, that's in the creed? Really, David? Like, that was that important that they decided to put it in the creed? And, uh, and, and actually, yeah, they did. And, um, and I hope a couple weeks ago, uh, if you were here, that got some explanation. That became a little bit more clear. I kind of did some work trying to help us understand that. I know I didn't clear up everything, mainly because the Bible doesn't clear up everything in that line. But, but I hope that you saw some of the significance. Okay, that's the first part. The other place is the part that we're talking about this morning. When we say, I believe, in the, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And it's that word Catholic where I see a lot of hmms. I see faces turn to the side. Maybe nostrils flare out a little bit, right? People are like, hmm, is it Catholic? Did we really have to say Catholic, right? And that's, that's how some people react. It's interesting. We're a diverse bunch, though. And so there are other folks that hear Catholic, and they don't go, hmm. They go, mm-hmm. Mm, right? The, uh, and they go, ah, I, I knew that was in there. They turn to their friend and go, yes, I told you it was Catholic in the creed, right? And, and so we have that response. And then some others of us are just plain curious about it, right? Really? Like Catholic? Why does it say Catholic in, in the creed? And so let me deal with that as right off, right off the bat, as quickly as we can. This in the creed, the, the, the Holy Catholic Church, the C in Catholic is lowercase. It's a lowercase c. I used an entirely different font to make that clear because there is no good lowercase in the one we've been using. But, but that's because the Catholic Church in the creed does not refer to the Roman Catholic Church, the proper noun Roman Catholic Church, led by the Pope in the Vatican. This Catholic Church in the Apostles' Creed is not a noun but an adjective. It's a descriptive word, and it describes the church as a whole, the universal church, Christians from everywhere, all parts of the world who are not only Catholic, but Orthodox, but Baptist, but Methodist, but uh, Presbyterian, but Episcopal, but Pentecostal, all of those people. You go on for a long time, all over the world, universal, the whole family of Christians everywhere, okay? And just to dig a little deeper um, and try to understand why that word Catholic is used in the creed, the Greek term from which we derive the English word Catholic actually comes from the Bible itself. It shows up in Acts 9.31 where it says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. And what I've underlined there, the church throughout, is, is the Greek word, uh, it's one word, Catholicos. And, and that's where Catholic comes from in the Bible. This is where it was first used, and it's actually a word that was formed by putting two words together. Uh, kata in Greek, which means according to or throughout, and holos, 
which means whole or complete. And so it's, it's the, the, the church according to the church throughout that is whole and complete. And so what's happening is that as the church grew beyond this little movement of people that believed in Jesus in Jerusalem and expanded its borders to include places like Judea, all of Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, the, the, the early Christians had to come up with a term to, to talk about the church that wasn't just here in this one local place, but all over, the church throughout, the church as a whole. And so this word Catholic kind of stuck. And every time they referred to the Christian church throughout the entire world, they would say the church Catholic, not just here, everywhere. We're, we're all over the place. It's the universal church. And, and it was only uh, at a time much later um, that, that the word Catholic actually became more associated as it is today with, with uh, the, 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 the church that's in, in Rome led, led by the Pope, right? And, and so when we say in the creed, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're looking back to the, to, to the original meaning. I believe in the whole people who are part of the entire community of faith and those who, who, who know Jesus and are living by faith in Jesus. That's what you're saying. That's what you're confessing, professing belief in when you say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Okay, got it? <clears throat> okay, so you might still be wondering, if, if Catholic doesn't mean what we think Catholic generally means, why, why haven't we changed it? Why do we still use this word Catholic in the creed? And, and the simple answer is, we don't have to. There is nothing that says you have to use this word Catholic. It can be confusing, so one option is to change it in the creed. And there are a lot of groups that have done that. They have called it the universal church. I believe in the universal church, or I believe in the Christian church, and that is an okay thing to do. If you want to say that here, when we recite the creed, you can do it. You got no problem. You may confuse your neighbor a little bit, but, but feel free to go ahead and do that. But Okay, uh, before you go changing it, without any further thought, I feel like I need to be a little pastoral here. I feel like part of my job is to be annoying from time to time, like, like a really important part of my job, and so I'm going to be annoying, and I want you to just hang with me. I, I, I want to do a little heart work in this, because I, I think that that's really important. What is the reason, what is the primary reason, if, if you want to change the word, what is the primary reason that you want to change it? Right? If, if the reason is simply because it's confusing and you want it to be clear and you want to update the meaning, I think that's a good reason. I said that already. I've got no problem with that. But if the primary reason that you want to change the, the word Catholic in the creed is because you don't like the Catholic Church, and I, I know some of us uh, struggle with the Catholic Church, and that's fine. Um, uh, I, I do think that if that's where you're at, um, that you should hesitate a little bit. At least allow me to pause you before you move it. Because here's my concern. What, in, in doing that, I think what we're going to actually do is, is end up undermining the purpose of this line of the creed altogether. right? Because it isn't just the line, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church, the Holy Universal Church. There's also a second half to this, isn't there? It says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. What, what, what is that about? What does the communion of saints mean? In the New Testament, saints are not super special people that have been canonized like we think of them today. They are the ordinary people like you and me who believe in Jesus and live by faith. Anyone who does that in the New Testament is referred to as a saint. And this is why at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, when Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus, he says, to the saints in Ephesus. 
you open up uh, the book of Colossians, for, for, for instance, he'll say, to the saints in, in Colossae, right? He's writing to the ordinary people. And if you read those letters, they aren't always too great. They're not too saintly, right? They're just regular people who know and follow, follow Jesus. Communion, in the phrase communion of the saints, refers to specifically the unity of those saints, that they are together. The creed is saying there's a common union, a communion of all people who have this fundamental commonality of faith in Jesus Christ. There is a core essential unity that transcends all of the other things that divide us. That's what the communion of saints is about, that we are one beyond the boundaries of time, that the church is, is a church that, that goes back all the way to the first century in history and continues to today, that the church transcends boundaries of place, that it's not just me and, and us here at Redeemer, it's people all over the United States, all over the world. We come together uh, as Christian with churches in Africa and Asia and, and Eurasia and Europe and and. Canada, uh, <laughs> which is not a continent, but came to mind right there. Um, and, uh, and, and we're all together. And then that the church also transcends is bigger than, and this is the really important part, the secondary differences that make us specific denominations or different parts of the Christian church, right? The church is, is one complete with Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterians, non-denominationals, Pentecostals. We're all one in Christ, one body, one holy universal church. And that is what the creed is saying by talking about communion of the saints, reminding us that we are all one. We have an essential unity. And that this theme of oneness is really, really important in the New Testament. right? I think this is why the, the early church decided to put it in the creed because it's all over the New Testament. It's something that Jesus prayed for uh, in John 17 when he's talking to his disciples. He says, I pray that all of you may be one. He's praying for their unity. It's something that Paul talks about over and over in his letters when he's dealing with things that come up in the early church. Uh, one of the most uh, well-known of those, and you're probably familiar with it if, if you know the Bible, is um, from 1 Corinthians 12. Where, where Paul compares the church to a human body. He says this, uh, 1227, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a member of it. And, and as you read further, what Paul is talking about is not like church membership. He's saying like members of a body, like an arm's a member or a leg's a member. And so, so what he says is, is that although each one of you and every part of the church is different and diverse, you all come together in one body under the headship of Jesus Christ. The head is the one that unites this. And so, so every different part of the church is like a different part of the body, different and diverse, but unified, right? So like... The Catholics are the arms, maybe, right? And uh, the Lutherans with their German roots are the broad shoulders of the church, right? And the Methodists are like the belly of the church where everything comes together in the middle. Uh, and and um, the Pentecostals are like the hips and the feet, right? Because they're moving and dancing. And the Baptists are the liver because they want to control everybody's alcohol intake, right? <laughs> And, uh, and, and so you guys get the idea there. And so what's so um, interesting then about 1 Corinthians 12, after Paul goes on to describe the church in this way, one of the things that he says is you're united 
So don't divide yourselves. So don't think that you can disassociate from another part of the body. Don't let your secondary differences primary trump your primary unity in Jesus Christ, right? And, and, and so what Paul says is the eye can't say to the hand, hand, I don't need you. And the body, each are an important part. The ear can't say to the leg, leg, walk on out of here with your leg self. I don't like you, right? Like, like it's, it's all together. And, 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 and so the, the really important thing to remember is, is that whoever we are, whatever part of the Christian community com- we come from, whatever convictions we have, we have one conviction about the salvation we have in Jesus that trumps everything else, that is deeper. And, and, and friends, I, I don't want you to think that um, if you're the one that like, wants to change the word Catholic that I'm singling you out here. I'm, I'm really not. Um, the reason I thought it was important to share this is because I think all of us have a part of the Christian church that we can look at and look over and say, I just don't, I, I just can't, right? <laughs> like, like, like I, I, we all have a, a place where we look over at those people, right? And, and we all think those people are the problem with Christianity, right? <laughs> like, like I, think, I think that if we're honest, uh, every single one of us has a word that we could insert here instead of Catholic that, that, would, that would rub us the wrong way. It's just, it's just the reality. And, and, and that's why I think that we should hesitate in changing this word. Or maybe insert the word of whatever Christian group you don't get along with there. Because the idea is that we are all one and we need to be one and we need to stay one. The church is bigger than me in my little corner of Christianity. And it's bigger than the secondary differences that are trying to divide us. And, and, and I think what, what we need to remember is the biblical vision of the church is one that is so big and diverse and marvelous. Revelation 17, a group of people from all over the earth, from all of time, who come from every tribe, tongue, and nation, who are absolutely so different and, and, and have lived such different lives and see the world in such different ways. So they are different, and yet every single one in Revelation 17 has their knees bowed and are saying the same thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's what the communion of saints is about. And I just offer that to you as you wrestle with this part of the creed, okay? All right, I want to pivot here, uh, because I think while the unity of the church is really important, that maybe the most incredible thing about this line of the creed is hiding in plain sight. And it's, it's this, the fact that we are saying, I believe in the church, I believe in the church. When, when we say we're, we believe in the church, we're saying, I believe in Redeemer. I believe what is happening right here and right now. I believe in Sacred Heart down the road. I believe in New Hope up, up a little ways. I believe in First Baptist Houston and in, uh, in, in the church all over America and the church in Africa and the church in Asia, that all these local churches come together and there's something that God is doing and has done and continues to do in the church that is really important, that is essential, and that's why it's in the creed, to, to, to a Christian life and, and to what God is doing in expanding the kingdom in the world. I believe in the church. Don't miss that. Like, that is the thing that is amazing in, in what we're saying in the creed. And, and it's really, really important, right? Especially because today, um, it, it almost seems like it's, um, it, it, it's, it's cool for people to say that they don't believe in the church. 
to, to actually disagree in the, with this part of the creed, to step away from this part of Christian tradition. And, and there's all kinds of evidences of that. One that came to my mind was a Gallup poll that I read uh, from a few years ago that, that really tracked um, the opinion that folks had of the church by asking them this question, are you confident in the church? They asked Christians that question, and they tracked it over the last 30 years. And over the last 30 years, what they noticed was a slow, slow, steady decline, that there was a 15-point drop that, you know, give or take every year, a half percent less people in America said, I believe in what God is doing through the church, right? There's also a ton of research that's been conducted that's noticed a, a, a small um, increase in people who identify as nuns and duns. And what those people are, nuns are folks who, on a religious census, will, will not identify with any religious group at all. They check none, right? Duns are folks who have been part of a church, but who are now no longer part of a church. They've stopped being part of a church for one reason or another. And, um, and I'm familiar with that research. I've done a, a fair bit of reading. And I'm going to say, uh, man, when you read it, a lot of these folks have really good reasons for, for what they've done. They've got a lot of legitimate frustrations. And, and I, I want to be the first to say right here, right now, too often the church has fallen way short, right? We have, we have not been anything close to what we, we often should be. And, uh, and, and the church has hurt people. There are a lot of Christians who poorly reflect on the church in very public ways and don't look anything like Jesus. And that hurts the image of the church. There are things that have happened inside of the walls of the church that are unfortunate, that are really shameful, that, that really hurt our hearts when we hear them coming out in the news. There, there are, are so many things that need to be better, that could be better. So let me say, first and foremost, the church is not perfect. The church is broken, it's messy, it's full of sinful people, starting with pastors, you know, and including you guys too, right? And, uh, and, 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 and it's got its problems, but to write off the church uh, to step away from it, I, I really believe is a big mistake. And um, I, I don't have time to share all the reasons why, but I do want to share a couple reasons why I still really, really believe in the church. Here's the first. I believe in the church because it's likely the only voice in our lives calling us to live for more than the American dream. I believe in the church because it's likely the only voice in our lives calling us to live for more than the American dream. A couple years ago, I was at a retreat with, uh, with a friend, and a friend who had actually stopped going to church for, for, for a while. And, and it wasn't because she, um, she didn't love the church. She still did. It wasn't because she had been hurt by the church. She wasn't. She didn't even really make any kind of conscious decision to stop being a part of a church. What happened was she had some unforeseen things happen in her life that required some transitions, and in the thick of all, all those transitions, she stopped making it to church every Sunday like she had been in a habit of doing before. And then uh, when that shift in her life happened, what she experienced was uh, it was easier then to take off the next week, right? And then to stay home the next week after that. And then suddenly she found herself scheduling things on Sunday morning so where, where being a part of a church was not a priority but instead a convenience. I'll make it if I can. And, and she found herself actually not being a part of a church for quite some time. Uh, and, and when she was sharing this with me, this is what really stuck with me because she found 
a church. She was back in the church, and she, was, she, she had a renewed fervor for the church, which was wonderful. But she said, after not going to church for a while, you know what I started noticing in myself? The first thing that, I, that, that really made me go, huh, she said, shallowness. I started recognizing a shallowness in, in, in myself. I started thinking shallower. I started acting, acting shallower. I was living like just in the momentum of the American dream. And I never made it a choice to do that. It was just the direction that my life kind of went. I was, I was in the daily grime. It was work and then climbing up the ladder at work. It was balancing family and kids' activities. It was planning the next vacation. It was buying the next new thing that we wanted. And it wasn't bad but it also wasn't good. It wasn't good enough, and I knew it. There wasn't depth in my life. I wasn't thinking with depth, and, and I didn't like it at all, and so when she had that realization, she went back to church and, uh, and discovered afresh one of the greatest gifts that the church has to give, right, and that's to call people to live for more than right here and right now in the American dream right? We were created for more, and we need the daily reminder that we need to live for more. Friends, this is one of the biggest reasons why I believe in the church, because we get the, to do the incredible work of saying, your life is, is more than food or clothes. Those are Jesus's words, and we get to repeat them, right? And, and, and when we live in suburban Houston, and you guys need to recognize this, suburban Houston is fueled off the energy of the American dream. Everything, it's like this giant river with a current that sends us in this direction is go get a better job, make more money, you know, chase whatever that thing is that's material and you want next or that fun activity, right? And, and not that that's bad, but, but it's, it's got to be more. That is going to leave us so empty, and that's what people discover. And, and, and in the church, one of the things that we get to do is say, hey, we've got an anchor around your foot, and we're pulling you back by checking your heart. Why are you going after those things? Does it give you the kind of meaning and hope and, and, and the, the meat of life that's really making life be as rich as it could be? And, and what my friend said is no. Like, I lived it. I was there. It didn't give me what, what I wanted. And, and, and that's one of the greatest values of the church is that it helps us think about the ultimate reasons why we're here. And, um, and I, I just believe in the church because this is one of the few places in our lives where we're going to hear that voice. If you stop coming to church, just think about this for a second. Where in your life is, are you going to hear the voice calling you to live for something more? I, I, I couldn't think of a spot in mine, and I bet a lot of you are exactly the same. I believe in the church because it keeps, it keeps reminding us that God created us more. Okay, here's, here's another reason. I believe in the church because it has always served the greater good of all people. It's always served the greater good of all people. You know, there, there's a song that I think uh, if we grew up in church, a lot of us learned as kids, right? It goes like this. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, right? Uh, you know where that song comes from? It's the Bible, Right? That's good to know that that's from the Bible. <laughs> Matthew 5, Luke 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, you're a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. Do not put that under 
uh, a lampstand. Do not hide that away. People need to see that. And one of the ways that the church has done that over and over again, consistently throughout history, is, is, is by saying all people matter and we are going to fight for the dignity and the good of every single human being created in the image of God, right? And so the church has always been involved in charity work, in founding universities, in fighting uh, for the end of diseases, in making sure that people have access to clean water, and doing the humanitarian things in Jesus' name. And you know, one of the greatest examples of that that is super relative, uh, relative right now that, that we should probably are thinking about is Harvey, right? Like, maybe you saw this article, USA Today. I've shared it here before. You know that the lion's share of relief work after Hurricane Harvey was done by the church. 80% is, is the estimate. I mean, that's incredible. That is the church's light shining, and people get to see that, that we're living for something more, that there's something else driving us. I believe in the church because the church believes in the good for all people in the world. That's one of the greatest reasons. Here, here is actually probably the biggest reason that I, I believe in the church, the most important, and it's this. I believe in the church because Jesus believed in the church. I believe in the church because Jesus believed in, in the church. You know, we get frustrated uh, when the church is imperfect. We get concerned when there are things that don't go right. Um, but, but one of the most important things to recognize is that Jesus was fully aware of that. Jesus knew us. He knew what was going to happen, and he not once doubted his plan for the church as the thing that would bring redemption to the world, the thing that would carry the gospel. Jesus never throws up his hands and says, enough, you guys just, I just can't deal with you anymore, right? I, I'm not going to do this church thing. I'm going to come up with a plan B. Right? There's just one too many problems, one too many scandals, one too many old lady fights in a church, right? You know, like it's just, I just can't, I can't deal with it. Uh, and, and he never, ever does that. And, and this is where that scripture that we read at the beginning of Matthew is really important, right? It's such a helpful reminder. It's so important theologically. Peter, for the first time ever, comes out aloud and confesses his belief in Jesus. He says, you are the Messiah. You are God's son. You are the savior of the entire world. And when Jesus responds to Peter, he says, yes, Peter, blessed are you for knowing this, right? You know this, and it's on your faith, this belief that I am the Messiah, that I'm going to do what? I'm going to build my church, right? That's the word that Jesus uses, and he says, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it, and I'm going to give you, the church, the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound on earth, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, right? And, and, and so what the church does matters, and, and just to be clear, who is, who is the one there that is talking about the church? It's not Peter, it's Jesus, Jesus is the one who first mentions the church. The church isn't a human invention. We didn't dream up the church. The church was God's idea. Jesus is the first one talking about the church right here, the first one believing in the church. And, and don't miss this either. Who is Jesus talking to right now? Peter. Peter is not a perfect person, not even close, right? This is the same Peter who Jesus knows later is going to fail him at his arrest and crucifixion, denies that he ever even knows Jesus. This is the same Peter who, as a leader in the early church, after Jesus is gone, gets the whole Gentiles thing wrong, <laughs> like that this is a church for everybody. Paul has to come later and correct him, 
right? Peter is so far from perfect. He's this muddled up mess of good and bad, and yet Jesus' confidence in Peter doesn't waver one bit, right? God still chooses him. And if we do an honest reading of the New Testament and look at the early church, which we oftentimes idealize and thinks is this wonderful, perfect thing, let me tell you, it is not. Just read the letters. Look at the stuff that Paul is dealing with. If you don't believe me, open up the book of 1 Corinthians. There was some Jerry Springer-level stuff going on in that church, right? And, and it was not cool. These are the saints, friends. And, 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 and that is such an important reminder that the church is made up of ordinary, broken people like you and me. And that isn't something that always ought to frustrate us. Maybe it's something that should make us marvel at the grace of God, that we get to be included in God's redemption in the world, right? Because does it sound like, like Jesus still believes in Peter in this passage? Absolutely. Does it sound like Jesus believes in, in the church and what the church is called to do? Absolutely. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. He says the, the attacks of hell are not going to overcome what the church is going to do. The, the church is made up of ordinary people like you and me, and it is a beautiful, marvelous thing in God's eyes. Man, we are so, uh, it, it is so incredible that God has included us in his saving of the world. Amen. 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 I believe in the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the fact that that you take us just as we are, that you always have, that you always will, that, that we, Lord, um, are, are so not saints sometimes, but Lord, you still are always God, and you call us to greater things. You call us out of the momentum of the American dream in the world that we live in. You call us into serving others, into caring about the lives of other people, Lord, and that you have confidence in what we're doing right here and right now. And Lord, I just pray uh, that we would have confidence in your confidence in us, that we would believe in what you're doing in the church, that we would believe in what you're doing through our life right here and right now as, as a way to be new, to be transformed, but as a way to transform this community and your world. And we pray that uh, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.